This morning, we're going to begin again where we left off in our study in the Gospel of Luke. We had been studying through the Gospel of Luke. I went back to the accounts related to the coming of our Lord uh, that are usually studied at Christmas during the Christmas uh, season. And now we come back to the resumption of a study of the ministry of our Lord in Luke chapter 8. Here is what is usually regarded as the first of Jesus' parables. It's a familiar parable, but it is really a mine, like a gold mine, uh, full of great truth. And after having studied this parable uh, for more than 25 years, I still, in studying it, come across things that are like finding uh, treasures each time I go over it. Uh, Let's look at the importance of this great parable, which is called usually the parable of the sower, but actually it's the parable of the soils, or the parable of how we are to hear the word of God. The key question to ask ourselves is this. There are two metaphors that are going to be used. One will regard to word, and one will regard to seed. But always remember that it is the seed which tests the soil. The seed is perfect because it's the word of God. The soils are different. And we, with our ears and hearing, Jesus says here, take heed how you hear, that it's very important for you to hear and to understand the word of God. So let us uh, read from Luke chapter 8. I'm reading from the New English Bible this morning. After this, he went journeying from town to town and village to village, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. With him were the twelve and a number of women who had been set free from evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, known as Mary of Magdala, from whom seven devils had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, a steward of Herod's. Susanna and many others. These women provided for the disciples out of their own resources. People were now gathering in large numbers. And as they made their way to him from one town after another, he said to them in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some seed fell along the footpath where it was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some seed fell on rock and after coming up withered for lack of moisture. Some seed fell in among thistles and the thistles grew up with it and choked it. And some of the seed fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. And as he said this, he called out, If you have ears to hear, then hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. And he said, it has been granted to you to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but the others have only parables in order that they may look but not see, uh, but see nothing and hear but understand nothing. This is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. Those along the footpath are the men who hear it. Then the devil comes and carries off the word from their hearts for fear they should believe and be saved. The seed sown on rock stands for those who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but have no root. They are believers for a while, but in time of testing, they desert. That which fell among the thistles represents those who hear, but their further growth is choked by cares and wealth and the pleasures of life, and they bring nothing to maturity. But the seed in good soil represents those who bring a good and honest heart to the hearing of the word 
hold it fast, and by their perseverance yield a harvest. May God bless to us an understanding of this his word. A few weeks ago, we had an interesting chapel program. It came from a man who works for the North Carolina Baptist Association and who has a special ministry to deaf people. He came here and spoke in chapel, and I was seated uh, back in the back, but I remember how well everyone listened to what he had to say because he told us of how important the gift of hearing really was. He told us of how a little child born into the world, not being able to hear, is shut off from all of the benefits that sound brings. That as a result of this, that child, instead of going away to college at the age in which most of us uh, go away to school, must go off when he's about in the first grade to a special school where he seeks to learn sign language and lip reading. He told us of the frustrations of a mother who is physically capable of bearing children and who bears a baby into the world but can never hear that baby cry. And so a special device has to be placed in the crib where when the baby cries, the vibrations cause a light to flash on and off and awakens the mother so that she can go and see to the needs of that baby of how a telephone bell does not ring, and so a light flashes on and off, and a person who is deaf can go and, and, and know that there is something that uh, is being called to their attention. He told us of how the, the, uh, the quickness of sight perception is heightened through training, and of what a blessing it is. Now, I listened with a great deal of interest because a few years ago we had a little crisis in our own family. Uh, my wife went through a frustrating time because she noticed that she was listening on the telephone uh, usually by placing the receiver to one ear, that she was not uh, able to hear well from the other ear tall. And then the loss of hearing became more marked and more marked and more marked until finally she could not hear the doorbell ring if the receiver of the phone was placed to her good ear that in a conversation in the living room there were certain voices that could not be picked up. That it would be frustrating to be in church and, and to hear for a moment and then not be able to hear and when someone else laughs wonder what people are laughing about or what's been said or what point had been made. And this causes a lot of confusion, a lot of pain. Well, fortunately, one of our marvelous elders here, Dr. Nelson Bell, and I had a good talk. My wife went into Asheville to a series of doctors who tested her hearing. They tested it by sounds. They tested it by sounds and they could tell exactly how much hearing. Finally, they determined that she had a 90% loss of the hearing for conversational purposes in one ear. And then there was recommended an operation. It's called a stapes mobilization operation. The ear, the outer ear, collects and directs sound waves through the ear canal to the eardrum. This is a tightly stretched membrane about three thousandths of an inch thick. It separates the outer ear from the middle ear. 
And next comes the three small bones of the middle ear called the hammer, the anvil, and the steric. These bones transmit sound vibrations from the eardrum to the cochlea, a fluid-filled spiral passage in the inner ear. On the cochlea is the important organ of hearing called the organ of cortia. It contains a row of about 24,000 hair-like fibers which range in length from a fifteenth to a hundred and seventieth of an inch. And so when the vibrations of sound comes, it strikes on those tiny little fibers. But if that steric bone has become immobile, then there is no sense of vibration, so hearing is lost. Well, I began to ask about what could be done. And so I was told by Dr. Bell that there was an otolaryngologist at Duke, uh, people who study the uh, ear. And so my wife went there for some elaborate tests at Duke Medical Center. And they told her she was a candidate for a stapes mobilization operation, that when that stapes becomes immobile, will not move, then you need an, an operation to make it mobile. And so I began to read up on doctors to try to find out who would be the best doctor to do the job and to talk with my friends. I kept hearing about a doctor in Memphis, Tennessee, whose name was Shay, who was a remarkably gifted doctor and had great success with this particular procedure, which, by the way, has become quite common now. And uh, so then I heard that there was another doctor who was even better than Dr. Shea. And he was also a Presbyterian. <laughs> and that he lived in Oklahoma City. Well, uh, God's great Presbyterian way of doing things <laughs> through pre predestination took me down to Miami, Florida, where I was to preach in the Shenandoah Presbyterian Church. And so one morning after I had finished preaching, I went to the door of the church and a very handsomely dressed man uh, who had a suitcase in one hand met me at the door of the church with another man. He had a very straightforward manner about him, and he said, My name is Jack Huff. I'm from Oklahoma City. Uh, this is Mr. Hill. We're on a pulpit committee of the Central Presbyterian Church. We want to talk to you. Can you cancel whoever you're to have lunch with and eat with us? And I said, Well, I don't know. I'll ask because I want to talk to you. But it isn't about going to Oklahoma City to the Central Presbyterian Church. I want to talk to you about my wife. So we agreed to exchange conversations. And I went to the airport with him in Miami, and we had uh, lunch together. And a very interesting conversation. Uh, first of all, the pulpit part of it will interest some of you. Uh, one man had a lot of questions to ask me, and, and Dr. Dr. Uh, Huff said, I have only two questions to ask you. I want to know, number one, do you read the Bible every day? And I said, yes, sir. Every day that I'm conscious and able, I read the Bible every single day of my life. He said, do you pray every day for people, specifically by name? And I said, yes, sir, I do. He said, I don't have any more questions. <laughs> he said, I can't live a Christian life without reading the Bible and praying, and I don't believe anyone else can either. Now then, I said, I want to ask you about this stapes mobilization operation. I said, do you do the operation that Dr. Shea in Memphis, Tennessee does? He said, no, Dr. Shea in Memphis does the operation that I do. <laughs> and I liked his confidence. And uh, this was during the baseball season and the World Series, so I, uh, 
I said, now look, you came here to talk to me because you wanted to look at me uh, by being a preacher, so that means there's a difference in preachers, and there's a difference in lawyers, and there's got to be a difference in doctors. Some doctors are bound to be able to do this operation better than others, and I want to know who's the best. And he said, well, Reverend, I'll put it to you this way. If the bases were loaded, and it was the last half of the ninth, and I could have anybody I wanted to come to bat on this procedure, I'll take me. <laughs> he said, I can knock it as far as it'll go. <laughs> and uh, I said, then we want to come to Oklahoma City. Well, when I went to Oklahoma City and took my wife, and we went through the tests, and then went through the hospital, Lization period and the operation. This wonderful man who teaches a Bible class and is a very oh, marvelous Christian who was converted on the island of Okinawa in World War II uh, took my two son, my sons and I out to his ranch, and he had Bibles that were there. And we talked about the Lord and we talked about faith in Christ. He told me how this operation was invented. He told me that he had been a a, a surgeon who operated principally on people's face, a plastic surgeon. He had gone to New York City, and while he was there working in Mount Sinai Hospital and doing a lot of operations, he went with another doctor one day to watch an operation that was being performed on an ear. A patient who was deaf, under a local anesthesia, during the procedure, suddenly blurted out with a sound, I hear something. And everyone was startled. Dr. Huff turned to his friend and said, I don't know if the surgeon fully understands what he's done, but something has happened, and I'm going to find out what it is. Then he began, the surgeon, by the way, uh, tried to get him to remain with his specialty, which uh, he did not do, but he got a cadaver, and he began to work on those little tiny bones, and he began to figure out ways of doing things and he began to refine this procedure and to work with it. Until now, uh, he has done eardrum transplants. He has gone all over the world teaching this procedure. He and other doctors, by the way, have worked with it. But he told me God had brought together the antibiotics that were necessary to keep down an infection, that God had made it possible for the proper type of magnification to be available because it's done under heavy magnification that God had brought all of these things together at just the right time and then working like a watchmaker works. He works this marvelous operation which has been beneficial to so many people who are candidates for it and has brought back to them the gift of hearing. Now we hear all sorts of things. A babble of voices scream to us from the television set. Uh, our hearing is even injured by some of the music that we hear. Those tiny little fibers can't take the acid rock as well as some of the people think they can. And there, there are a lot of injuries done to hearing. Well, Jesus knew the importance of hearing and of hearing the word of God. And he knew that there were many people who came to him, that there were thousands listening. And he knew that out of all of those people who listened to him, only a relative few would respond with any degree of faithfulness. And I have people who ask me the question, why is it after 2,000 years of preaching the gospel, if Jesus is truly the Son of God and the gospel is what it claims to be, why is it that so few people in the world really believe it 
And of those who profess to believe it, so few of them even practice it. Why is it that uh, churches uh, build a building that will seat three or four hundred people when they have a membership of seven hundred or a thousand? This is asked all the time. Why? Well, Jesus anticipated this and he knew it. And so he begins to speak to all of this crowd of people that had been attracted to him. Now, if you read Luke chapter 7, you know that he raised a dead man. You know that a centurion servant that had been sick unto death has been healed. And so he has attracted a great concourse of humanity coming to listen to him. And I'm sure that the disciples were quite thrilled with all of this crowd of people. And yet Jesus knew that there were present, just as there is here this morning, some people who do not care for his claims upon their life, who will not respond to his claims with any sense of dedication or responsibility. And so he gave this parable. It deals with hearing words, but he changes the metaphor now to seeds and soil. He is the sower. The sower could be no more perfect, for he is the Son of God himself. And from him have come his deputies, the apostles, the disciples, and all Christians are sowers. Al Andrews sowing seed at Chapel Hill. Barbara Hersey hearing the word of God from those and seeing it in active in the lives of the people about her. So Jesus switches the metaphor. He switches the metaphor to tell us about a sower and the seed and about the response of four different types of soil, and I want to quickly go through those. Let me tell you about some of the wonders of this in, in, in the in beginning. I've, I feel at home when I read about seeds because I was born on a farm and grew up out there in East Texas. And I've always been interested in, in things that grow, and one of my... Uh, people that I admired because of his scientific ability in growing was Luther Burbank. He's an interesting man. There once was a man who loved nature with such a deep and moving love that she told him one of her secrets. She gave him the power to create new plants. The man whose name was Luther Burbank would go into his garden and walk softly among the growing things. He saw that every plant was a child. It had its own face, its own promise, its unique touch of genius of character. And if that promise were tended and encouraged, the plant would grow more useful and beautiful each year. Luther Burbank puttered in his garden for 50 years for the greater happiness of all men. He made potatoes that grew larger and whiter and more delicious than they had ever been. He taught the cactus of the desert to throw away its spine so that cattle could fatten upon them. He made blackberries shed their thorns so that they would not cut the fingers of those who picked them. For him, the plum grew without pits, and strawberries ripened all year. Trees learned to shelter their fruit from frost, and walnuts wore a thinner shell so that the small hands of children could open them. The daisy grew more beautiful for him. By the way, he invented the Shasta daisy. The amaryllis burst into flame. The calla lily wore a perfume. The dahlia found a new fragrance. He left the earth covered with flowers and fruits that had never grown before. All because he understood a secret. He knew that everything that lives has the power to become greater if it is freed to put forth the best that's in it. 
Now the Son of God comes. Jesus said, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Jesus said, Thy word, O God, is truth. The psalmist said, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed unto thy word. Thy word, O God, have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It must be the marvel of all the angels in heaven that we make so little use of the word of God and its effective power in cleansing our lives and making them what they ought to be. So Jesus talks about the four different types of people and their response to God's word. He tells us, first of all, that they're the good seed of the word of God falls upon one type of soil or hearer that is hard. It's been beaten down by the constant patter of feet and it falls there and there is contact but there is no communion. There are people who are physically present but their hearts are not in it. Now in Palestine they used to sow the seed broadcast and later they would come with the plows and plow up things. Now the seed that lies upon the surface will be snatched away by the birds of the air. I used to think of this as a, a sower going forth, sowing his seed, and a big crowd of crows flying in back, coming down, picking up the seeds. But as I've grown older in life, I'm not so sure it was a flock of crows. I think some pretty little canaries got in there along the way. I think some people have been lured away that way that the good seed of the Word of God has been picked up by that kind of flippancy, by that type of sin. Uh, it repels the truth of God, and then Satan comes through these fowls of the air and plucks up the seed and takes it away, and it does not bear any fruit. This is Jesus' own explanation of that first type of hearer. There are people who will go away from here today determined that by the grace of God they want to be better disciples of Christ. There are other people for whom it's all a boring experience. Why? How much do you really want Jesus? How much do you really want God's plan for your life? Like these two marvelous young people who spoke to us. Oh, if we could have that dedication and discipleship. Don't let the fowls of the air take the word of God out of your heart. I remember when I was a student in Scotland, I used to go uh, and preach up in the north of Scotland. I love to go up there around Fort William. I love to go over to the island of Harris where they make the Harris Tweed. And I remember once going way north to Ullapool and preaching there, almost uh, right up at the end of Scotland. And I remember so well in that Scottish home how when prayers were said at night and the Bible was read and then prayer, the people didn't open their eyes immediately and start babbling. But there was a silence of five or six seconds or so. And then when people looked up, each one wanted to take the light that he had and go to his room. No more conversation. Keep the word of God in your heart. Let it bear its fruit. Keep the spirit of worship. How much of it is forgotten so quickly. We're so used to being entertained that we allow the word to go away but they had a reverence about God that we certainly could use today. Secondly, Jesus said there was a second type that was shallow and superficial. Uh, this type of soil, he said, is a soil that's good soil as far as it goes, but it doesn't go very far. It's soil that's over rock. 
And because it has no depth to it, the seed gets down into the soil. Immediately it bursts forth into growth, and the growth comes up. But then when the sun begins to beat on it, it withers away and dies. It withers away and dies. Or you make a decision to follow Christ. You sign a decision card. You respond to an invitation. You have your heart moved. But then you're offended when trials come your way. Why did God let this happen to me? Remember a pastor in World War II who had a man in his church who screamed at him one day, where was God when my son died in the war? And the pastor said the same place he was when his son died on the cross. He, he didn't call us to a flower-strewn pathway. All of us are going to go through some trials in life. It's interesting, isn't it? If you read Paul's letter to Timothy, there is a man mentioned. Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. The same rigors and hardships that deepened the character of Paul caused Demas to forsake. Trouble will make you bitter or it will make you better, depending on whether or not you surrender it up to the Lord. The shallow, superficial person hears it and thinks it's great for the time, but it has no profound influence in his life, and he never brings forth any fruit to perfection. He is offended when the trials come his way. I sometimes think it's a mistake, and I've been guilty of it, of pandering too much to the celebrities in athletics and in show business and in other things, the great successful businessmen. To follow Jesus doesn't ensure success in show business or sports or music or anything else, except in being obedient to him. And there are plenty of marvelous Christians whose names you'll never know and whose faces you'll never see in any paper who live out heroic lives day after day through things that they do that only God knows about. And boy, I've seen some wonderful examples of that right here in Montreal. Thirdly, Jesus said the third type of soil was soil that was mixed. It was soil that had two motives. And this is probably the most frequent thing today. The soil would not support two types of growth. There was the seed of the word of God, but it was choked out by cares and pleasures and riches, we are told. I was reading last night about Howard Hughes, poor old Howard Hughes, two and a half billion dollars, and the most miserable man you could possibly imagine. Riches choked him, choked him out of wanting to see any other human beings outside of the few people that took care of him choked him into steep drug addiction and misery, choked him into the insanity of fear of everything. What good did it do? What good does it do? Riches that choke. And then there are cares. We allow worries to beset us. When if we leaned upon the word of God, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can he say? 
than to you he hath said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled. If we cling to a bedrock faith like that, we don't go through life saying, I'm lucky. We go through life saying, I belong to God who has a plan and a purpose for me. In summer and winter and springtime and harvest and fruitful and barren years and sickness and health come not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. And that he is working his purposes out as years succeeds to years. And that all things do work together for good to those who love the Lord who are called according to his purpose. And the word builds in us that granite-like character which we need and that backbone of steel which it takes. That's what God's word does. Well, Jesus said the fourth type of hearer is representative of the good soil. Those are the hearers who with an honest and good heart, an honest and good heart, honestly listening to the claims of Christ and honestly responding, those bring forth fruit. Mark tells us some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Now let me tell you, if you go in a seed store, you'll see those big posters with pictures of eggplants with little sparkling drops of dew on them. And you'll see the big posters that have a cucumber or tomatoes or squash or whatever else. And then you buy the little package of seed and you open it up and you shake it out. And that seed doesn't look like that poster. Doesn't look like that poster because a lot of work is going to have to come into it before it'll ever look like that. As a little boy on the farm, that used to mystify me all the time. When we went into town on Saturday and I went to the seed and feed store and looked at all those posters and then got that seed and looked at that little seed. But you see locked up in that little seed is that power that Luther Burbank saw and worked with and locked up in your life as shriveled and dried as it may be if you are willing to allow the hand that was nailed on the cross to touch you that hand can transmute you and transform you into something beautiful and fruitful and good for the glory of God. He can take the experiences that have come to you in life and he can use them for your own salvation. I pop the question to you. What kind of soil are you? Did you hear it once with joy but no more? Are you just holding it aloof and not willing to take it in, not to correct your life day after day? All of us go through these stages, and all of us go through constant revisions and changes in our life. Or are you willing to yield up yourself and let the hand of the sower touch you and be responsive soil, a good hearer that will take the word and obey it? and let God bring forth fruit in your life. Our young people are going to have the great privilege of some of them in going over to Gatlinburg. You'll get to hear one of my favorite people, Jules Spock. In 1944, Jules Spock was in an airplane, a B-24 bomber, and out on the Mediterranean, all four engines conked out. They had to bail out of the airplane. Five people in that group of eight in that airplane were killed. Jules Spock lived, 
His flotation vest did not work. He had to swim all the way to the Italian coast. He was taken a prisoner of war. He said that for the first time in his life, he really prayed. For the first time in his life, he really exerted faith. And he said God heard him. And he couldn't get over the fact that God heard him. And he had to do something about it. He came back home to Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And he did do something about it. He heard the call of Christ to go to a tougher mission than he ever flew in Italy. To go to Brazil as a missionary, a layman missionary for the Presbyterian Church U.S. His testimony is a great testimony because he yielded his life to the hand of God and God has brought great good out of it. And he speaks the word of God with great faithfulness. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can accept him this morning. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit our Teacher be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.